Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 333, and that's a palindrome. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. We could play Where is Valerie Now? Because you're not in California, are you? No, I'm in Kansas. Well... Thank you for taking the time out of your busy traveling schedule to record today because on today's show, we're going to be answering lots of fabulous questions sent in from our listeners and Patreon uh, donors, uh, including our products marketed for babies, uh, different than ones ad- uh, marketed for adults. Will layering products reduce the effectiveness of AHAs? Does hyaluronic acid dry out your skin? What's the difference between differin gel and tretinoin and... What the heck is nanoplasty? But first, Valerie, Kansas. What's going on in Kansas? Well, technically, I'm in Missouri, but Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm going back and forth between Kansas, my ancestral homeland, uh, my mom's side of the family uh, portion of it, actually um, settled in Kansas back when it wasn't even a state, so pre-statehood. They came down here. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Uh, But anyway, I'm actually in Missouri, uh, just a couple miles from Kansas, and I'm at a show called the Handcrafted Soap and Cosmetics Guild Annual Convention. You and I were at the Canadian version together. This is the American version. Oh, well, that's fun. Yeah, and I'm getting to see familiar faces. I actually uh, just found out from um, one of my customers. I met them last year at the show. They came back this year. They said they're now a huge fan of the Beauty Brains, and she's uh, one. Uh, she's recovered from cancer as of this week, which I was really excited to hear. So it's great to get to know everyone. Yeah, I mean, who knew listening to the Beauty Brains could help you cure cancer? But uh, oh. you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, no. Uh, anyway, oh, so that's, no, what, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? You were in Poland and Slovakia. I was Poland, Slovakia, and Austria. Oh, it was a great trip. I had fabulous weather, and uh, I got to go to karaoke places in all of the uh, different towns. Fun. <laughs> so, but yeah, I had some fun fun speaking events, and uh, the crowds were great. Everybody's really nice. Ate a lot of uh, Wiener Schnitzel and drank beer. Uh, it was a great trip. Nice. Did you uh, visit your ancestors? Speaking of ancestral homelands. I did not. I mean, I was in Warsaw, and my father is from southern Poland, like near Krakow, so I did not make it there. But I I felt the Polish people, you know. (laughs) Oh, good. I love Poland. It's great. Yeah. Oh, it was was a lot of fun. You know what I do notice about whenever you travel to Europe? What's that? There's There's a lot of walking. I'm like, I think I probably walked like, one day I think I walked 13 miles just looking around the city of Vienna. Yeah, but I will say, I think it helped you had great weather. In Germany, when the weather is cold, rainy, and terrible, there is not a lot of walking going on. Oh, of course, yeah. No, I, if it's if it's good weather, I, I will walk. You know, before we get to beauty science news, mm-hmm. I, can I just complain about puffers? This cat is driving me nuts. What is puffers doing now? Every time I put out a plate of food, he eats it. And if I put out six plates of food, he eats all six of them. That is very unlike a cat. 
I know. And then I hid the I, I start putting it on different places around my house so the other cats know about it, but Puffers doesn't. And then he finds it. It's just driving me nuts. That's surprising because usually cats nibble and then they move on and leave some. They never completely drain their bowl. No, this cat must have a tapeworm or something. He is very food motivated. Uh, on the other hand, he is the only outdoor cat that lets me pick him up and pet him. So, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't think but Puffers was always an outdoor cat. Puffers is Mr. Obnoxious. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's but crazy. he lets you pick him up and pet. Is Puffers even a kitty? Is Puffers a dog? No, he's he's a kitty. I mean, he scratched me before, too, so there is that. <laughs> but, <laughs> Puffers doesn't like it when you do that. He doesn't get along with the other cats. He's uh, disrupting the domestic tranquility that, we, <laughs> that we've had. But, oh, well. I, I don't want to relocate him, but he's driving me nuts. You might have to. I might have to. All right. You know what else we have to do? How about some beauty science news? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, one of my predictions early this year, what was it, Valerie? Oh, was it an ingredient prediction or a celebrity prediction? I think it was an ingredient prediction, and I predicted peptides would be taking over our industry, and look at this story. They are. According to uh, Grazia Daily, Number 7's new science-led skincare range has an 88 88,000 waiting list. Actually, the article has been updated. It says 94,000 people on this waiting list for this new technology for repairing the signs of damaged skin. And their super secret ingredient is a super peptide blend, uh, which accordingly has been uh, said to harness the skin's natural repair process uh, using the renewal of 50 key proteins in skin cells. So pretty serious stuff. And you can't get it yet, but uh, it's launching, and they have a big waiting list apparently. Well, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but I would like to just say it's not like 94,000 people are waiting on a pre-order to get shipped. Oh, really? This ha- just has to be some. No, I mean... A wait list doesn't mean anything, right? It could be they sent out an email blast and they said, hey, we have this new product launching. It has a peptide. Would you be interested in learning when it's available? And someone would say, yeah, you know what? Let me know. I don't mind. Put me on that email list. Boom, you have a 94,000 person waiting list. That's different than 94,000 people chomping at the bit to get this product. You know, they do kind of make it seem like 94,000 people want this product. Maybe they do. I would, you know, I just know that there's a lot of ways to spin a waiting list. <laughs> I've witnessed it. Well, yeah, but you know what? I think it, uh, they they make a headline like this and they try to imply it's like, uh, I don't know, a GoFundMe, right? Because GoFundMe, mm-hmm. you actually have to put up money. But for a wait list like this, you don't need to put up money. I think it's like you said. You get an email, they're like, hey, are you interested in peptides that are going to make you look... 5,000 years younger, and it's like Botox in a bottle? <laughs> Who's not going to sign up for that? Yeah, let me know when it's available. Doesn't mean it's a commitment to buy. Right. I'd love a follow-up article to this. I have to say, the technology is peptides. I do believe that in the future, like the really interesting stuff and technology coming out in skincare, hair care, peptides is definitely an area where there are some interesting things that could be going on. I'm a little skeptical that this is one of those, but uh, hey, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. 
Uh, Speaking of predictions, I made a prediction earlier this year and someone on Instagram was kind enough to remind me I made the prediction. So basically I predicted Oprah, Oprah, like Oprah Winfrey, would come out with her own cosmetics line. But kind of the second best thing happened. Oprah Winfrey has opened up her billionaire coin purse and invested in Dr. Barbara Sturm's skincare line. Oh, so she's like one of the primary investors of a new line. She's just not using, it's not the, it's not the Oprah line. It's just Oprah owns it. Yeah. Oprah's an investor in the Sturm company. Now that's my understanding um, from the information that's come out. There's a really cute picture of them together. I guess Oprah's a huge fan of the products and actually uh, Barbara Sturm looks like the twin of this uh, professional salon evaluator I used to work with at my previous oh, really? skincare, uh, hair care company. Yeah. Uh, so I look at that and I'm like, Yolanta. Uh, anyway, uh, Oprah loves the products. Uh, coming into the business is an honor and a testament uh, to the philosophy of the company. Oprah kind of has her own line, I guess. Yeah. Wow. I guess I'm going to give you partial credit for that. But, uh, oh, I, come it's doubtful. on. <laughs> I mean, it's an investment in it. I guess it's like she's part of Weight Watchers, too, right? Still. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, so there's not going to be the O skin line, which is kind of would have that would have been 100 percent credit, right? Yeah. If it was, oh, my, you know. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, speaking of, oh, my, you know what I saw? Uh, GK hair has launched. Get this, a special vegan line of hair care products. Hmm. And not, not to be outdone, that just, not just vegan, but it also has CBD in the shampoo and conditioner. Well. Yeah, according to Happy Magazine, GK Hair, they've taken a strong initiative to their sustainability with their vegan hair care range, which has CBD shampoo and conditioner, then the vegan taming treatment. I, boy, oh boy, does this just sound like like marketing people got together and say what's the most popular or what was the most popular uh, uh, trends in hair care two years ago and sustainability vegan and cbd boom let's make a line (laughs) well in reading about the line i'm sorry i just (sighs) vegan taming treatments have been game changing for those who love to have manageable hair but are unable to find a vegan solution I just feel like there's a lot of available products out there. No one could find a solution. I, I mean, give me a break. What, what, tell me this. What hair care line is not vegan? Everybody's vegan, right? You don't well, use there, animals. There are some pr- brands that do use ingredients that contain animal derivatives. For example, lanolin derivatives, beeswax derivatives, uh, some agents, uh, conditioning agents may come from sheep's wool, but it's not really common anymore. Most companies want to say their products are vegan to consumer, exactly. to, to cater to a larger consumer base. Exactly. I, I, at least the company that I worked for, uh, in the late 90s, there was this mad cow scare, and everybody got afraid of animal-derived ingredients. So we stopped uh, taking anything that was like tallow-derived or anything... Uh, that would come from the meatpacking industry. Now, we still 
we still put lanolin stuff, but you don't put lanolin in a shampoo for anything. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it would Ew. just Ew. it would just wash out, and it's just, yeah. So I don't. I can't think of a shampoo now. The the only shampoos that might be not vegan are the ones that contain like a hydrolyzed keratin protein or a hydrolyzed silk protein, something like that. Or maybe some of the surfactants come from the, a tallow derivative, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I guess we use sodium lauryl sulfate. That those aren't going to come. Those are going to come from coconut or palm oil or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. They're I mean, you can get yeah. some conditioning agents that do come from tallow derivatives. But yeah. the one thing, the one other thing that got me, I guess, because uh, there were a couple things that I just, uh, you know, per the company's years-long scientific research, any benefit <laughs> yeah. gained by damaging the environment can always find a more sustainable alternative through plants. And I would just uh, like to argue that just because something is plant derived doesn't mean it's more sustainable. I, I, you know, you could easily make that argument. Yeah, this this just seems. I mean, good luck to them. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be perfectly fine products. I'm sure the products are nice. Really, I know you can't really screw up a shampoo and conditioner, but you can screw up a shampoo and a conditioner. I've I've used a lot of them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, it's hard to screw one up. And <laughs> can, CBD. About CBD and hair care, what is this doing? That is just it doesn't do let me much. throw some. It doesn't I mean, do anything. Let me throw okay. some letters here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, good luck uh, for the new GK hairline, and uh, I think that brings us to our questions. Our first question is an audio question, which we love to do on the show. If you want to hear your voice break up our voices a little bit on the podcast. Uh, just record your audio question from your smartphone or your computer and send it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Hi, Beauty Brains. This is Jordan from California. Thank you for making the best podcast. I cannot wait for each new release. I look forward to it all the time. Uh, my question for you is, are products that are made and marketed for babies and children better than the adult products? I'm thinking like sunscreens, lotions, body washes. How are they different? And uh, is there something bad in adult products that we should be using baby and children instead? Thank you. Hope you're staying warm. Hope you're staying dry and appreciate all that you have to offer. Well, thank you for that question, Jordan. Adult products and baby products. uh, How are they different, Valerie? Well, theoretically, they should be a tiny bit different from a marketing perspective. Typically, you don't want to heavily perfume a product for babies. You want to use ingredients that are perceived to be more gentle and nourishing right? and maybe tear-free. They're okay if it gets in the baby's eyes, all that kind of stuff. I would say from a regulatory perspective, there should be quite a bit of difference. That is, if you're having a toxicologist, review your formulations before you put them out into the market. And that is because a dose of lotion on baby skin is more impactful than a dose of lotion on adult skin. And this is just a factor of body weight. So a toxicologist will say, oh, you can't really use this high of an ingredient um, on a baby. But I don't know too many baby products with actives that would be kind of regulated from that sense. Usually you're using pretty innocuous stuff. You're not loading a baby lotion up with niacinamide. So Right. Those are some of the ways I think they would be different. What about you, Perry? Well, 
Are, her question, she asks, are baby products better than adult products? Oh, and I'm going to say, yeah. uh, well, no, it, it was important also how they're different, but... Well, that was part of the question. <laughs> it, it, was, it was part of the question. But I'll also say, as far as better, I'm as far as performance goes, I would say the baby products are likely not as good, not as effective. Uh, one of the ways that... Essentially, one of the ways you make things more gentle is that you water them down. You use yeah. less surfactant. You use uh, less perfume. And when you do that, you are reducing the effectiveness. Um, and, you know, which is fine. Like, babies don't need quaffed hair, right? So, <laughs> or uh, their skin is already pretty good, right? So um, it, it's understandable. And But that's why... Those uh, baby products will generally be, you know, less effective on adults, and uh, adults can handle more concentrated surfactants and things. And so, those when you can do that, you can get the hair to clean better or the skin to clean better. Uh, moisturizers can be more moisturizing. Babies don't need that. So, if you're talking about performance reasons, I think that adult products, uh, you know, in laboratory testing, would perform better. Excellent point. But if you have sensitive skin and uh, regular products bother you, uh, you know, checking out baby products might be a solution to that problem. Plus, they generally smell nice if they do have a fragrance at all. <laughs> it's usually like lavender, right? <laughs> yeah, very calming. Chamomile. Yeah, exactly. Baby powder. All right, next question comes to us from Natalie. Natalie says... I dabble in formulating serums and creams from time to time and have been wondering if I have a night serum with an AHA, which will have a low pH, and then I add a face cream on top of that with a higher pH, am I losing the effectiveness of the AHA? Is it better to formulate a night cream with an AHA or perhaps the serum with an AHA followed by an anhydrous oil serum could be used? Would this be hydrating? You know, Valerie, this sounds like a, an Ask Valerie question. Uh, Valerie actually does a industry column in the magazine Happy where people ask her formulation questions. So this is a, sounds like a formulating question, huh? Yeah, and we've had this question quite a bit before years passed in the Beauty Brains. And I have to say, I mean, in theory, it makes sense, right? You're putting this low pH product that only works at, in a low pH system on your skin. Right. And then you're putting something that's a higher pH on top. And so you think, okay, well, if these two products are intermixing on the skin, is the pH being adjusted? And I have to say, I think it's a little more complicated than that for two reasons. Uh, no. One, I think if you're waiting any amount of time in between them, your skin is starting to readjust once you put a low pH product on it. It's already starting to re-equilibrate back to some kind of... Um, normal pH environment. The second right. thing is uh, it depends on what the AHA is and how low the pH is and really how uh, much of a strong acid it is because not all acids that are AHAs can be easily so neutralized back to a neutral yeah. pH. And then I guess the, the next question is, you know, what is the AHA doing? If it's an exfoliating acid, you may lose some benefit. I don't know if a consumer will perceive that difference, but a lot of AHAs actually help provide moisturizing effects, and that may not be super dependent on 
uh, the pH of the product. So you still may be getting some benefits, just not exfoliating. Well, I look at this also. She says, okay, I put the AHA on and then I put the face cream on top. It, there's also a time element here, yeah. right? Once you once you put the AHA on, it is it starts to chemically react with the skin right away. So I imagine if you put the AHA on and then you slap the the face cream on like immediately after, that could have an effect of uh, interfering with the chemical reaction of the AHA with skin, and that might reduce the effectiveness. But if you wait, you know, a minute or two. I don't think there's going to be any effect. As you said, once you put that lotion on your face, that changes the pH of the environment already. Yeah. The P, the, the natural environment around skin, the pH is around five and a half. And so if your acid product is, say, three and a half, once you put it on your face, it's already increasing the pH level of the environment as a whole. Uh, and so anything you do afterwards there, uh, it's not going to reduce it that much more. So eh, that's my thought there. And as far as hydrating goes, I don't think these things really interfere that much. Like hydrating is going to be some sort of occlusive agent, and that's not going to really interfere too much with an AHA. Exactly. So I think you should be good to use them in conjunction with each other. But you're formulating your own products, why not tr- try putting a night cream in it if the product and the other ingredients and the emulsion and the emulsifiers can handle a low pH environment? Certainly uh, give that a try. Um, you know, not many people like a serum with an AHA followed by an anhydrous oil on top. That's a very specific aesthetic. So, um, yeah. you know, if you enjoy that, go that route and that way you don't have to worry about anything changing since oils don't have a pH and they don't contribute to a pH shift. So, you know, you could go a lot of different ways. And that's actually the fun part of making your own products and experimenting is seeing what you like, or if you're making products for other people, seeing what other people like. And if you want to check out some of that stuff, you can go to simply-formulas.com and check out Valerie's store of ingredients to make your own stuff. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. All right, we ready for the next question? Yeah, it comes to us from Ginny. Ginny says... I'm wondering if there's truth to this idea that hyaluronic acid actually dehydrates the skin. I've heard before that lower weight HA is bad because it draws moisture from deeper within the skin rather the environment, but I don't see that as a problem as long as the long-term effects are there. Perry, what do you think about hyaluronic acid? You know, I hear this about humectants in general, like glycerin or hyaluronic acid. A humectant is an ingredient that will absorb water. It attracts water to it, and then it holds on to that water. And so the idea is that if you put hyaluronic acid on or glycerin on your skin, it's going to absorb water from the atmosphere, draw it in. But since your body is made up of about, I think humans are, what, 75% water? Anyway, a lot of water in a human. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to, it could theoretically draw water up from inside your body up into the skin. But you know what? That's not going to dehydrate you. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's a, you have enough water, seriously. And I, I think this seems ridiculous that you have to worry about the, the, H, the hydro, hyaluronic acid dehydrating you. 
And I also think formulas are complex, right? Or maybe some are simple, but almost always if you have a hyaluronic acid serum or product, you have other humectants present, you have other emollients present that are going to yeah. uh, help mitigate any drying that the hyaluronic acid would do. So I would say don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I just don't even buy that idea that it's drying the skin. It's holding the water in. Yeah, I I understand kind of where this came from, but I think it's completely wrong. Well, Ginny did a three for on us. She has two more questions that oh. she slipped in for a total of three. Very good for her. Ah, nice job. She says, I'm also curious what you two think about waterless serums, as in powder serums. They have no water in them, and you have to add water to them right before use. Mr. Lulu is the main brand I'm thinking of in this case. Their powder serums have a good ideology backing them and are more eco-friendly, but do you see any possible downsides? Waterless serums, downside to that, the powder piece. And now, I mean, I don't think it's more eco-friendly, but it seems more eco-friendly, right? Again, it, well, it has to be, I think that has to really be measured and validated by a third party, right? I mean, I could see where you're shipping less product around, maybe, you know, I don't know what the packaging right. is and that kind of stuff. I guess my problem with a powder serum is that where you mix it right immediately before you use it is that they're never just as good as serums that already have water in them. And this is because you are limited in the types of powdered ingredients you can use that store well and that mix well in your hands with water. You may be limited to different use levels um, based on what the ingredient is that's in a powder and how much can be added to skin and also reduced use levels or restricted use levels because of how it aesthetically feels. You want it to still feel really good on the skin. And I think that if you use a product that already has water in it, I feel like it's just as good. Now, I could see where a shampoo or a cleanser would be advantageous not to have water already in it because it's such a big bottle. But serums, you're buying an ounce 1.7 ounces. Yeah. So I would say to me, just buy the serums that already have water in them and get something that's formulated really well from the ground up. Uh, One advantage could be, uh, you know, I just mentioned downsides and kind of, you know, poo pooed everything. An advantage could be um, that you can use actives that are instable in water and mix them right before use. So that could be cool, where it's like you don't want to store an active in water, but you could mix it right in your hand before you use it. So I could see that as an upside. Right, like a powdered vitamin C product probably, in my mind, would be more effective than a vitamin C delivered to you that's already hydrated. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so I I could see some... uh, To be fair to you, Valerie, she asked, do you see any downsides? (laughs) But I, so that was the focus on the downside. Uh, but I will also say, uh, I I don't think it's an automatic upside that it's going to be more eco friendly. There's a lot involved with with shipping and with uh, you know you, the extra steps in production to make a powder. Yeah, so how was the powder made in the first place, right? Exactly, and then the efficiency piece, right? If you have, if you try to mix it back with uh, water. It's not going to hydrate perfectly, and so a lot of the powder is down the drain. I, 
this reminded me of like hot chocolate. So like yeah. I make hot chocolate and I pour it in there and I'm stirring it up and I drink it. And at the bottom, you just have this clumps of unsolved <laughs> chocolate. That was the I worst. <laughs> and it's like, that's not efficient. That's not, if it would have just came as water, hot chocolate, it would have been perfectly fine, right? So it's not as efficient. And that's one of the downsides of these also. Yeah. And the last question, in our experience, have we seen specific ingredient triggers that make certain products pill up on the skin? It's not uncommon to see this with a physical sunscreen, and I've read it's due to vitamin C curdling the product. I've also heard high concentrations of hyaluronic acid can cause sunscreens to pill up, as in a hyaluronic acid or vitamin C serum added to skin and then afterwards using an SPF. What do you think? I can understand that with hyaluronic acid. So hyaluronic acid is only soluble in water up to about 2%. So uh, just a little tip for you. When you see a, a company claiming like 70% hyaluronic acid, that's Not BS. true. There's, that's, yeah. I know. It's uh, Once you get past 2%, essentially your water solution is a solid. Or 70% of your solids phase could be hyaluronic acid, but that's... <laughs> You know, if that's 99% water and then 1% for right. other stuff, that would be 0.7% hyaluronic acid. That could work. But that's 70%. Exactly. So, <laughs> I know. It's, it's not. It's a, so it's, it's, it's a little trickery marketing there. But what I was getting to is the thing is hyaluronic acid is a film former and a thickener. When you put a product with hyaluronic acid on your skin, the water starts to evaporate, and so it might have started at a low, uh, a low enough concentration where it doesn't pill up. But as the water evaporates out, that's where you start to get that pilling effect. And as you move it around, I, I could see that happening. I don't see that happening with uh, vitamin C, though. Well, I, with I hyaluronic acid, I, I wanted to add one quick point. Yeah. If you're layering a serum and an SPF that have two thickeners in them that aren't compatible with each other, you could also get right. some interaction on the skin ah. and cause some pilling. So sometimes yeah. it has to do with product compatibility. But you're right, Perry, with the vitamin C, I was thinking, huh, that doesn't even make any sense. But nah. if you had an emulsion that was very sensitive to the addition of uh, citric acid or ascorbic acid, you can sure, cause the, the emulsion thing, yeah. to uh, break, not right. break down and, and spread easily, nicely on the skin, but you can't actually get some curdling effect. And I only know this because I've accidentally overshot my pH in the wrong direction. And some emulsifiers are very uh, sensitive to that. Yeah, and the product will sure. curdle and you can't recover the emulsion. So that's like maybe a stretch, but it's the only thing I can think of in this situation. Yeah, yeah, i i would be I would be surprised, but you're right. If you if you miss the pH range, it, it, you know emulsions can be sensitive there, and especially if you have one of those uh, polymeric thickener emulsions, uh, the associative yep. thickener emulsions, uh, that could be a problem. They're very pH sensitive for sure. So it's it's possible. Um, but if you were formulating a good product, you could get around these problems, but yeah. not, every, not everyone does that. <laughs> not everyone. All right. We have time for a couple of more. Rachel wonders, what is the difference between Differin Gel and Tretinoin? Will Differin Gel help with anti-aging? Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks for that question, Rachel. Differin Gel and Tretinoin. I know Tretinoin is a prescription 
uh, topical medicine uh, of retinol, uh, retinoids, I mean. It's uh, the most effective, I think, retinoid that there is. And it's so effective that it's been clinically proven, uh, you know, appropriately clinically proven that it's a drug. And it, and as far as the FDA is concerned, you need a prescription to get tretinoin. But different gel is using something else, right? Yeah, well, tretinoin can also be prescribed orally, uh, but I think we often think of it topically. Different is also a prescription, but also you can get it over the counter in a lower strength. So you could walk into... So, so different is a little different. <laughs> oh, I knew you were going <laughs> uh, there and I should have oh, beat you to it. <laughs> ah, why did I beat you to it? <laughs> yeah, well, different gel also contains a different active. It's still a retinoid, a dapoline. Uh, but it works by decreasing inflammation, increasing cellular turnover, which is a, a retinoid benefit. And again, right. you can get a low strength over the counter at 0.1%. And it's often recommended for people with acne. Acne are people are seeking acne people. People with acne are seeking <laughs> these products out. You, you acne people. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that everybody? <laughs> you know, I haven't. You know, now that I'm like 50-something, I, I haven't had acne in a while. I hope you get it, because I have like a big cystic one right on my chin here. Oh, what luck. <laughs> yeah, I want to spread the wealth. That's a, what I always said about acne, if you get acne as you get older, you're like, well, you know, at least I'm still young. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Wait, do like 80-year-old people get acne? I think they do. I, I Do they? Probably less maybe so. Maybe it's just a rash. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just shingles. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think, um, you know, one of these other questions, does Differin gel help with anti-aging? I think that's a really good question because one of the benefits of tretinoin is that you do get some anti-aging effects. And right. I don't know what the official doctor information is, but I would guess as a retinoid, because Differin does increase cellular turnover, ipso facto, you get some anti-aging effect. Yeah, I'm going to say that different gel, yeah, it will give you an anti-aging effect, uh, you know, probably better than, say, a retinol, uh, because... These are really active ingredients. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because at 0.3%, it's prescription, and 0.1%, it's not. So, uh, you know, there is there is clinical evidence that this stuff really works. And when I say clinical evidence, I'm not talking about cosmetic clinical evidence. I'm talking about... <laughs> yeah. You know, not that. I'm talking about you have to actually do a drug trial. And, Real and that evidence. Passed, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm excited to see Differin is available over the counter because I remember the days when it wasn't. Um, and so that's pretty cool that now you can get it OTC. Uh, you know, the only anti-acne product that I ever bought, and I only bought it one time and I was way embarrassed, was just, proactive. I don't know, Benzoyl. Benzyl peroxide, or no, oh. not proactive. <laughs> like yeah. so embarrassing. No, I like Clearasil. That you know, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, no yeah. Clearasil. Like, yeah. I bought I, when I was in high school. I bought like one tube. I didn't tell anybody. I hit it, and I tried it a couple times, and you know, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a salicylic acid girl myself. Why was I so embarrassed that I would even treat my acne when I was a kid? Well, because I think it's admitting that you have it, right? Even if it's kind of the obvious. Um, and I think even today there's still a stigma around acne. But I think people are um, embracing it more and more accepting that it kind of happens to all of us. And some people get it really bad. And you're a horrible person if you say something to them about it. 
you know, and I had growing up. It, <laughs> this is a psychology of Perry, but growing up, I also had the notion. I don't know where I got this notion, but as a boy growing up, the idea that I would spend any time on what I look like was it seemed like not masculine or something like that. Yeah, I get God, it. I grew up in I grew up in weird times. <laughs> Before before our time, I know, but, but people aren't like that now, right? I have, have people changed. I hope hopefully they've changed for the better. There's not that machismo that I think people don't change as well. I think it depends uh, where you yeah. are and what kind of culture you're in. That is that is a good point. <laughs> All right, we got time for one more, and this one comes to us from one of our patrons, Lamb, all the way from Sydney, Australia. So Lamp says, hi, guys. Thanks so much for your podcast. I learned so much every time I listened. Also, hoping the kitties are all well. Oh, well, Puffins is doing well. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Puffers. Yeah, that guy. Oh, uh, I said Puffins. Puffers. <laughs> Puffins. Uh, uh, well, see, he's, he's a puffy cat. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he's fine. Oh, they're all fine. Uh, my colleague has tasked me with learning more about nanoplasty, a better version of the Brazilian keratin treatment. But I cannot find anything. Would you guys be able to help me out? Thanks so much. Nanoplasty. I got to admit, this was a little bit new for me, so I had to do a little research. And you too. Have you heard of nanoplasty, Valerie? I did not before this question. And it's something that I wish I would have not learned about. (laughs) Because oh, it makes no. me very disappointed in the salon professional world. Well, I will summarize it, and then we'll get your feedback here. But basically, <laughs> nanoplasty is a marketing story. No, it's a type of hair treatment said to employ nanotechnology to repair and strengthen hair. Um, the treatment apparently has nano-sized microscopic particles that will fill in the hair shaft and the cracks of the cuticle and resulting in smoother, shiner, healthier-looking hair. You know what? This sounds a lot like a silicone to me, <laughs> but I, I imagine nobody's nobody's marketing is that, right? No, I think they're using an encapsulated material, which may fall okay. on the nano scale to deliver a sure. straightening active to the hair. I've seen these before. You know, the thing I don't like about the term nanoplasty is, I mean, one, it's clever. Okay. But not as clever if they called it caroplasty, like keratin, because this is a keratin treatment. But of course it makes it sound really scientific. It's like, oh my goodness, nano and plasty, like plastic surgery, like, oh my gosh, I'm having all this change happening. Right. I get it. There is the, there is the rhinoplasty echoes of rhinoplasty, right? Yeah. And I think that's what this is trying to do and it's resonating with consumers and people are probably liking the results i looked at the before and after photos and you know to me i was like this looks like a really great smoothing treatment i don't know that it's better than any other products on the market i mean some of the benefits are that hair does not get confused at all confused there's no confusion Uh, in the hair that they need to remain straight and oh. not revert. Wait, so let me get this right. So the hair fibers are just sort of there, and they're like, hey, am I supposed to be curly or am I supposed to be straight? There's <laughs> no confusion <laughs> after this treatment. This. <laughs> um, you know, it's fairly quick. Um, 
you know, there's good longevity with uh, the results. And I mean, basically, it's like a, a keratin treatment, right? So it, yeah. So, but but what do you think is the difference between this and the keratin treatment? N- not much. Just the, the way oh, in which right. people are speaking about the technology of right. the product. Well, that's what I would say. The the difference is the way that it's marketed. Uh, because the thing is, if you know you're doing a, a keratin treatment, it's not like you're using giant size keratin. Uh, I mean, those particles are nanoparticles already. I mean, maybe they're not particles. They're just nano-sized molecules. So this just becomes a a marketing story, right? I guess maybe if it's encapsulated, then you can call it nano. But they're all nano. I'm at a loss here. But as far as the results go, it's it's pretty much a keratin treatment with a new name. Exactly. Um, So if you're interested in trying it, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, it's claimed to be formaldehyde-free, which is important. But, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd go uh, bonkers for it. You know, I'm personally a fan of the old uh, keratin treatments, which were not good for you uh, because they worked so well. And honestly, it's just very hard to find things that work as well anymore uh, because yeah. we can't yeah, use formaldehyde well, yeah. or formaldehyde, formaldehyde creators <laughs> anymore. Yeah. You know, the formaldehyde would help the protein bond to the hair. That actually was a chemical reaction heaven. And then there was no formaldehyde left, but, you know, regulators and such. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> any know, t- treatment, you know, I would let it be on the market for a bit and see how it plays out, see how people like sure. use overuse with it. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see how cosmetics over time seem to be getting worse than better. <laughs> but, you know. but I'd you like know, to blame marketing like we, for that. I know, but it's not like we want to go back to the days when people use mercury to lighten their skin either. So sometimes, sometimes making, sometimes making things worse is safer anyway. But it was effective. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions. You hear that music, Valerie? I hear it. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's, it's not just the sound of your battery. That's right. If you get a chance, could you go over to Apple Podcasts or? wherever you listen to podcasts, maybe Spotify, leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And as I mentioned earlier, if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, if you like what we do and you want to support what we do and you like the fact that we do not have commercials, go to The Beauty Brains and sponsor us or support us on Patreon. Go to The Beauty Brains uh, at, I'm sorry, go to patreon.com slash The Beauty Brains and subscribe. Also, we have social media accounts. We encourage you to follow us. And that's as much as I can say because we have not been very active lately. But on Instagram, (laughs) we're at The Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at The Beauty Brains. We have a Facebook page and squatting on a TikTok until the government can decide what to do. <laughs> you know, Valerie, I have some ideas, so I'm going to post some stuff on the Instagram on The Beauty Brains coming soon. Oh. All right. Well, just uh, run that yeah. through me so I can make sure it's cute and pretty. I'll take care of it for Absolutely. you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Get in.